Welcome to Don't Box Me In, the show that features conversations with people from all walks of life, talking about their extraordinary experiences and inspirational messages. Now, here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello, and welcome. I am your host, Lana Reed, and this is Don't Box Me In. I've got a fun and informative show for you today. You know, in the United States, childhood obesity is a serious problem. Depending on who you talk to, some even say it's an epidemic. Obese children are more likely to have risk factors for cardiovascular disease, such as high cholesterol. And children and adolescents who are obese are at a greater risk for bone and joint problems, sleep apnea, and social and psychological problems, such as poor self-esteem. Since 1980, obesity among children and adolescents has almost tripled. My guest today has had his own struggles with obesity as a teenager. He's here today to share with us how he overcame his own weight issues, as well as all the other triggers in his life that kept him heavy and at times emotionally dysfunctional. Doug Peterson is the author of Tuna Breath, a 275-pound teenager's coming-of-age story. He is also the founder of the Playground Global Research and Education Company. So since I struggle with my own weight from time to time, it is with eagerness that I welcome Doug Peterson to the show today. Doug, welcome to Don't Box Me In. So glad to have you here. <laughs> Hello, Lana. Thanks so much. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Oh, no, my pleasure. My pleasure. So, Doug, today we're going to talk about an overweight teenager who still struggled even after he lost the weight. So tell me, were you always a heavy child or did it come about like gradually? Yeah, well, as a matter of fact, so it, 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 I wasn't always a heavy child. Um, I started gaining weight around seven years old and it didn't necessarily come gradually. It came very quick. It came off much quicker once I, once I focused on it, but, um, we had experienced a, a, a family event, a traumatic family event when I was around seven years old, and that's when my weight gain started. And so, you know, before that, I was just like, I guess, any other normal kid in the 80s, and my parents weren't uh, overweight, and this really wasn't such a big issue then. You know, it really wasn't uh, uh, as big as it is now, and, and the awareness that we have today just, just wasn't there in the 80s. So um, okay. that's how it worked for me. Okay, so you said you had a trigger um, around seven. Can you share with us what it was? Sure, sure. Yeah, my uh, my dad, when I was seven, we he was a, a preacher at a church that we were really um, a big part of. You know, we lived in the, a church house. My mom worked there, and my dad was like the number two guy at, at this church. Mm-hmm. And um, they had moved from from uh, from Nebraska, from Colorado to L.A. to to do this. They had really committed everything, and so. Anyway, they, you know, we were growing up, nice little family there. And, um, he got sick when I, like I said, when I was about seven years old, he got, um, diagnosed with a chemical imbalance that basically mm. took him, took him out of commission big time. Mm-hmm. No one saw it coming. You know, I was a little too young to really understand it, but it landed him in the hospital for a couple of months. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, uh, the big thing about it, it wasn't necessarily that he got sick, but it was, was everything that occurred kind of in our life at that time. Our church, okay. God bless them, you know, uh, it just changed everything. They didn't want my dad back. We had to leave the, the church house. We, you know, my mom had to pick up wow. all the pieces and yeah, and, and move across town. And, you know, we didn't really know anybody. So I, they didn't turn their backs on us, but for some reason they just didn't really, uh, see us moving forward with them. And so, that was a big, big deal for my dad. You know, it was his whole identity 
and it was a big deal for me as his youngest son because he was my hero. You know, so when yeah, he came back, okay. yeah, when he came back, he was, um, you know, he was he was balanced, and and the story, you know, works out great. You'd never know this if you, if you didn't talk to him today or you didn't talk, <laughs> talk to me today. So it's got a happy ending, but it took him a while to rebuild himself. Mm-hmm. You know, he, it took him a long time, and so I think just just that, you know, it was very emotional, and I there was a lot of uncertainty for me at the time, and I, you know, um, rather than talk to people about it or, or talk to people about it, my fears or just whatever, you know, my imagination ran wild, and it, it just became very easy to, to stuff my feelings and also dingy, you know, as I got a little bit older. So so okay. that's, that's what happened, and that's what I, I you know, as I, as I look back, you know, that was really when everything started to, to happen for me weight-wise, you know, okay. right then. Yeah. So, you know, I'm assuming your dad recovered and he he got out of the hospital. But like you said, there was some, you know, some disconnect with the church that kind of left the family kind of out of whack there. Even with your fa- your father present, you still felt the need to to eat even after father was back yeah. with the. OK. Yeah. Yeah. Because there was just, um, you know, our, our family, you know, my parents just celebrated their 42nd wedding anniversary. So they've got a, a great relationship and. Like I said, it, it has a happy ending, but you know it was it was a tough time. You know, okay. um, just a lot of uncertainty. You know, we didn't have any, any money. <laughs> yeah, my yeah. my dad didn't work for a couple of months even after he came home. You know, I, I haven't really talked to my my mother about what she had to do during that period, mm-hmm. but she had to she had to do a lot of things just to get our family by all by herself. And it takes, it takes know, a so lot to my, to eat and keep yeah. the lights on. It takes a lot. Right. She had to go to work. I became a latchkey kid. You know, my dad, I think, was probably, um, you know, he had to rebuild himself. You know, it mm-hmm. took him a while just to, to be able to go get a job, and he started working as a security guard. And this mm-hmm. man, you know, he, he was working on his Ph.D. in theology. Wow. You know, he was a, you know, his identity was really, really ripped away from him, and it, it took him a while to, to, to find his certainty again, you know. And so as a little kid, you know, I'm worried about just not necessarily – uh, you know, if I'm going to make it, but if my parents are going to get a divorce or, yeah, you know, there's or a lot of emotional trauma going work. on in the household. Oh, yeah. yeah. And they got along fine. It was mostly my imagination, you know, and, uh, uh, but I never talked to anybody about it, you know, and, and, uh, and, and so that's, I think that's what it was. There's just some heavy, some heavy air in our family as we, as we rebuilt ourselves, you know, it okay. took a couple of years, it took a couple okay. of years for my, my, my parents to get back on their feet. Uh, but by then, I'd already gained weight, and I'd already had these habits, and, you know, um, I was into my teenage years, and things just started to, to spiral, you know, out of control for me weight-wise, and emotionally, really, you know. Okay. I'm curious, when you started to put on the weight, um, you, you mentioned that it really wasn't, obesity wasn't really a, a common known issue back then, but when you yeah. started to put on the weight, did your parents, you know, say maybe you shouldn't, or did they overlook it, or, you know, did they not talk about it? I mean, did they have any yeah. input at all? Yeah, they, they did. I mean, but they were also, you know, my parents are pretty cool. You know, they, mm-hmm. they, have hearts of gold, you know, they're both raised on, on farms, even off from the city. <laughs> and, um, they just, they, they, they loved me no matter what. And that's, I think, the approach they took. So they only really got involved when I showed that I was unsatisfied, you know, mm-hmm. and if I would complain or just be like down and out. But I did a really good job, I'll be honest with you, a lot of hiding a lot of that. You know, I acted okay. like this stuff didn't bother me. And so, you know, when I can remember the first time it really, you know, my mom would, would, would say something when I got a physical, you know, playing sports in junior high. We went to get a physical and, 
you know, I'd heard, you know, in health class something about cholesterol and I was vocal mm-hmm. about it. So I remember having a conversation with our, our, our family doctor at that point. But, you know, it, like I said, it, the, the word obesity just wasn't in, in our vocabulary, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I don't mean to be curt or whatever, but, you know, I, he was just a fat kid, you know, and I was one of a few <laughs> yeah. kids like us, you know, at the school. Yeah. And that's just, you know, that's just how it was. And so, you know, um, yeah, and, and, and so the information about fitness, nutrition, really the emotions of it all wasn't, wasn't available to our family, and I don't think it was available really in a, in a large way then. Okay. So, you know, it's not that they didn't intervene, but I also did a good job of just hiding it, you know, and just gotcha. dealing with it on my own, you know, gotcha. or trying to. Gotcha. And, you know, um, kids, kids are very cruel. I mean, we all know this as a fact. And, you know, the high school teenage years are very rough time for um, most teenagers to get through, whether or not you're overweight or not. Um, I'm assuming the the he- the extra weight had with it its own burdens as you were going through that time. Um, yeah. Were there some some other issues uh, with high school? Did it, did it make things more difficult for you? Well, you know, I, it um, from a from a peer to peer standpoint, from other kids, I you know I I hope this is still true today, but I'm a pretty friendly guy, and I I had a lot of friends. And so I never mm-hmm. really was was teased per se. I got along with a lot of people, and and um, you know part of that I think is me, but it's also I have an older brother who's two years older than me, and so he was going through the school system. He played football, and you know he was kind of popular, and so I was his brother, and they they looked out for me. So I'm sure people said stuff you know behind my back or whatever, but I never really got a lot of a lot of teasing or no bullying. I mean, I just I think I had it easy. I didn't really face anything like that teasing until um, I was probably 16 and I started working at a gas station. I wrote about this in, in the book, but there were young guys that were, I look at them now, I'm 40, I just turned 40, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, guys that were in their early 20s, but they were old to me that they would give me a hard time, you know, mm-hmm. and they would, they would mess with me at the gas station, these mechanics. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't, uh, it didn't stop me at all, but I really, you know, I really um, was the hardest on myself. You know, okay. and I, I write about this in the book, and that's really what, you know, part of my message is all about is that, you know, in, in my case, I was my own worst enemy. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, I got myself into that situation, and I judged myself, you know, a lot during mm-hmm. those adolescent years, you know, especially about the weight. So, so you know, for whatever it's worth, I think, I, you know, my problems then uh, were mostly mostly mine. I kept myself, you know, in a... In a I guess, you know, in that, that inadequate state, you know, just for, for fear of not knowing how to do anything else, you know. So it was mostly my own my own judgments that, that hurt me. So do you think or do you feel that even if it had not been for the trigger of your father in that situation, you would have um, had some issues in, uh, in some area of your life? I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know that to be sure be sure because honestly i believe that i've lived this story to be able to tell it now and to help people so i just i believe that i was supposed to experience this because i have a couple of things going for me that allowed me to get out of it at such a young age okay all the ignorance so it's hard for me to say that you know that that, um this wasn't supposed to happen i will say this though that um that event when i was seven all that uncertainty you know um was 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 there, you know, picking up the food and, you know, stuffing feelings and finding comfort 
you know, all that seems to coincide and make sense to me. So I don't, I don't, you know, would it happen either way? I don't know, but I really believe that that was the main trigger. And had that not happened, you know, I'm sure we'd have issues with inadequacy in other ways, like a lot of adolescents do, and, mm-hmm. and a lot of us do. But I, I don't think it would have been the same had it not occurred this way. I mean, cause it was very, you know, a, a very um, trying time, you know, and it was just easy for me being sensitive to, to overreact, you know, to gotcha. that uncertainty by, by, by trying to feel safe so much, you know. Okay. So at what point was it that you said, um, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to carry this extra weight anymore? Yeah. Do you remember how, it, how old were you then? Yep, yep. I was, um, so I, I did a lot of, diff- as I got older, um, you know, into junior high, high school, you know, I did a lot of just like, Hail Mary type plan, you know, like crash diets and, and workouts <laughs> mm-hmm. that just never, never did anything. Um, but it was when I was uh, 18 years old and a senior in high school, I'd started working as a security guard at, at Universal Studios mm-hmm. in, uh, in Hollywood. And um, I really wanted to be in the Marine Corps at, at the time. You know, I thought that that was the, the thing for me. And, and uh, but at my current weight, you know, I, there was no way I was scared. You know, I was like, they're going to, okay. you know, the physical fitness demands are gonna be so tough. You know, it, it's not going to happen for me. But anyway, it was, it was around that time when I was really getting curious about the Marines and um, wondering about what's, what's next in high school. I, you know, I write, again, I write about this, but I, and I say it, it was kind of like a fluke coincidence. If you, if, if you believe, I don't necessarily believe in coincidences, but I had a fluke. <laughs> event happened that 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 uh caused me to lose a little bit of weight and that opened up my eyes to the possibilities of being skinny and so i was 18 and um and that's when i really got focused on it and um i should say this now i mean this is how why i titled the book is eventually when i when i kind of figured out what my plan was going to be i ended up losing all my weight in about six months by just eating uh one can of tuna per day <laughs> and so that's wow yeah, that's where the title of the book comes from, and uh, okay. definitely not anything I would ever recommend people Recommend to do. anybody. Okay, no, Doug, hold that no. thought for me. We're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, 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 and welcome back. Um, this afternoon, this morning, this afternoon, depending on where you're at, I am talking to Doug Peterson. He is the author of Tuna Breath, a 275-pound teenager's coming-of-age story. And before the break, uh, we were talking about uh, how he started to transition and lo- lose the weight, and he began to tell us uh, he did it by eating one can of tuna a day. Is that correct, Doug? <laughs> Just one. That's correct, Lana. Just one. <laughs> One can yeah. so you go from yeah. overeating and and comforting yourself with food to uh, one can of tuna a day. Most people would say you went from one dysfunction to another dysfunction. Um, exactly. Yep. That's exactly what <laughs> so, happened. <laughs> so tell us tell us about this. The one can of tuna. What what even brought that to your mind? Yeah, that, I always get this question. How did you choose this and, and why this and it's it's like a lot of things that were happening to me at, at this time of life. It's just all reaction, you know, but mm-hmm. pieces all came together. And, and uh, so what happened when I was working as a security guard, um, they moved me from a, a seated post as a dispatcher to like a walking, roving supervisor. And they had mm-hmm. this special event 
uh, called Halloween Horror Nights, and I, you know, I worked a lot of overtime, and I was out walking around uh, checking on all these guards all the time, writing in their security logs and stuff. And at the end of a month, um, you know, and again, I was 18 years old. I didn't plan. I never take my lunch or anything. And um, at the end of a month, I had lost 25 pounds uh, hmm. without realizing it. You know, my boss was like, hey, we want to make you a permanent supervisor, but go get your uniforms changed because you look like hell. And I didn't realize <laughs> it, you know, but uh, I lost 25 pounds just by, you know, not eating. I didn't have access to the food. I was really, you know, walking a, a lot more, and, uh, and that happened. So, um, you know, again, I carried weight. I gained weight consistently for 10 years. I thought, you know, I believed that I would be 500 pounds from day. So this was a really revolutionary thing. It was a big surprise, mm-hmm. and it opened up my, my eyes a lot. And so when that happened, I started asking around. You know, the guys that, that worked at, as, as guards were former police officers, military veterans, they were retired, and then guys that were back from the first Gulf War, you know, young guys in their mid-20s who were transitioning mm-hmm. out of the military. And so these guys, you know, so I just started asking them, you know, who I thought were somewhat athletic or whatever, what they did. And one guy boxed, and he he talked to me about protein, and, and I just remember, the only thing I remembered him telling me was about protein, and he listed off a bunch of things, and tuna was the only thing that was in my parents' cupboard. You know, mm. so when I went home... I was like, okay, I need to do protein and, and, and this and stuff, but uh, here's what I can eat. It's there. It's easy. I don't have to cook. And um, so that's why I just put those two things together. I'm like, okay, I lost this weight by just limiting my intake a lot. And mm-hmm. um, I know I need to eat something. This guy's talking to me about protein, so I'm going to eat a can of tuna and just drink a lot of water. And occasionally I had an orange or two and, and a couple of soda crackers, but really that was that was it. You know, once I really figured out that would be my plan, I just stuck to it. You know, it was a stubbornness. Mm-hmm. I, just, I was scared to do anything else. Um, but it, it, it worked. You know, it, it worked. And I dropped that weight really, really fast. Um, within a couple months, you know, I, then I started to believe that I could actually be a Marine, you know, and so I started mm-hmm. to train physically. And I started to run and do all the things that I, I knew that they would ask me to do in boot camp. And uh, that helped accelerate the weight loss even more. And so... By the time it was all said and done, you know, I had lost 125 pounds, and um, I was I, I was way too skinny. You know, I'm six foot tall, and I was 165, mm. and just really, um, you know, really too skinny because I didn't know what to. I didn't know how to stop. You know, I didn't know anything about okay. nutrition or, you know, that kind of stuff. But I could run three miles in, in 18 minutes. You know, it turns out that I'm kind of a natural athlete. Okay. <laughs> so all that, okay. You know, and. Uh, uh, it was crazy. So I had to, you know, rebuild myself back and and um, and do all that. But it was just a very rapid physical transformation, but not mental or emotional. Okay. Well, we're going to give the disclaimer now that we don't recommend people take the no. tuna a day, can a day uh, diet that Doug took. But did you notice, um, you know, eating like that? Was it? I guess you were eight. You were young at that time. Did it your yeah. energy levels suffer? Suffer or any other no. things? Did you notice? Yeah, you know, and I I agree with you. I mean, this, I don't tell this part of the story. Say, hey, everybody should do this. And this is the next bad diet. Absolutely not. I mean, this is mm-hmm. me exposing myself and saying, mm-hmm. you know, this is what a scared teenager will do when they really want something. You know, when they want yeah. something really bad, this is what you'll do. And I didn't have access to anything else. This is just how it worked out for me. Um, gotcha. But uh, to answer your question, you know, to be honest with you, I, I didn't feel it, the hardest part was, you know, that those first couple of weeks, probably months, 
of just getting through a change of habit. You know, mm-hmm. it was very easy for me to eat a lot of junk food and soda and, and all that stuff. And uh, it was hard for me to, to turn that off. So, um, mm-hmm. but after about a month, I, I, had, I discovered that I actually do have a lot of willpower. I've got a lot of mm-hmm. discipline hidden under <laughs> there somewhere. And I could just, you know, I, I just, I was so scared to, to gain weight, you know, and I just wanted it so bad. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was scared to go near food, you know, for those mm-hmm. reasons. And so, so, so for those reasons, I could stay away mentally. Um, physically, you know, I've learned a lot more about nutrition and I, you know, I'm a pretty healthy fit guy and I have been for the last 20 some odd years. Um, it, ironically, you know, I, I think about it this way, you know, a hibernating bear will eat for six months and then sleep for six months mm-hmm. and come out healthy the next time. I had, you know, I'd stored fat for over 10 years. That's a very rich calorie source. <laughs> and, um, you know, I basically, uh, took my six you were, months to, to You were living off you know. of yourself there for a while. Pretty much. So I, I didn't suffer. You know, I, like I said, I, I, I was still active at work. Within time, I started becoming physically active, and I really excelled with that. So the fat, you know, to be honest with you, fat is a very, you know, a very rich energy store. So I didn't, you know, and I was 18, you know, so I didn't, I didn't mm-hmm. suffer from, from any, any lack or, you know, medical problem. Or somebody asked me if I got mercury poisoning from eating so much, you know, tuna. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't have any health problems. Okay. Okay. So you mentioned the Marines. So after you lost this weight in six months, did you enlist then or was it sometime after that? Yep, I did. No, once I got down to my my weight, I I started seeing that, oh, I actually can do physical things. You know, I'm actually Mm -hmm. quite quite physical. I I, I had a lot of confidence. That's when I started talking to recruiters, and, and that's what happened. So I ended up enlisting in the Marine Corps. And, um, you know, once, once I got the job that it was for me, I, I, I signed a six year contract and I was off to the races, you know, literally I just ran, ran the other direction. And, uh, the thing about it is, you know, I saw, I had changed physically and I changed my attitude, but I still kept a lot of the, you know, I just traded vices, you know, I still mm-hmm. had the same emotional makeup and I didn't quite have all that stuff sorted out. So it took a long time, you know, for that history to, to catch up with me. But, mm-hmm. I, you know, my physical transformation happened so fast. It was almost like a new identity, you know, and that mm-hmm. whole seven years to 18 years, the fat years, you know, I just I just closed the door and didn't really process. I didn't understand it. And, um, you know, I, for a long time, you know, I just never really paid attention. I just, you know, became someone else kind of, you know, let another part of me come out, you know. Gotcha. And, you know, you kind of touched on something, uh, you know, I, I kind of joke, I have a lot of friends that are Marines and I kind of always joke with them that yeah. there's something that happens to them in boot camp that makes them this really cocky, arrogant kind of person. Um, did you notice any kind of attitude shifts for you at this period of your life? You know, it wasn't, it wasn't right in, in boot camp. It did give me a lot of, uh, oh, I call it certainty. You know, being mm-hmm. in the Marines, it, it was very, it still is a very emotional. I love it. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I was really romanticized, romanced by the Marines and just the, mm-hmm. the culture, what they stand for, what we what we stand for, and and there um, you go. and everything. However, I didn't, you know, and I have a whole chapter in my book titled "Arrogance Is a Bliss." And <laughs> my arrogance, you know, my arrogance caught up with me after I'd been in the Marines probably two, three years. You know, it's about okay. midway through my contract, and I was a really arrogant young guy. You know, mm-hmm. but at first, it, it, at first, it was you know being a Marine and earning that title. Uh, allowed me to, to to kind of validate things that I'd kept myself away from when I was younger, you know, and mm-hmm. believing that I wasn't 
you know, masculine or that, you know, I, my, I wasn't a big football player like my brother, you know, or my dad, you know, being a real mm-hmm. big farm boy type, you know. It was more of, of that, you know, it, it kind of helped me feel um, more certain in myself, but, but, you know, for sure, you know, the arrogance, cockiness, I mean, it's, it's, it's a whole other lifestyle, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, People so you went from the, you, you went from the unsure heavyweight guy to this, you know, buff athletic cocky marine guy i mean it's still yeah you know yeah. very extreme personalities that are kind of over the you know over or under the top depending on how totally, you want to put it totally extreme yeah <laughs> yeah totally extreme yeah. okay okay so um is it so at what point in time did you realize like okay i'm just kind of totally out of pocket i need to work on doug needs to work on doug there yeah there was uh you know, and I tried to organize the, the my story this way, the book, and there, there are three three turning points for me, and I I, I, I link liken them to the physical turning point that happened that we just talked about when I was eighteen. Um, there was a I guess a personal a, you know like a, a person personality turning point or an emotional turning point that happened for me. You know, that was like the next stage um, when I was getting out of the Marine Corps. I was twenty five years old. And that's when I just realized, like, in my character, my personality, you know, I'm not the person that I want to be. And I didn't really have the tools or know how to fix it, but that's when I consciously said, I need to, you know, I need to fix myself. You know, this arrogance and that's very rigid and, and judgmental and, and, um, and, and whatnot. And I knew I need to fix that. And then later on, when I really put these, everything together, it was in 2006, when I was in my early 30s, where I started to ex- explore this, this idea of, of wholeness. You know, and, mm-hmm. and bringing everything together, and you know, it's the physical, the emotional, the spiritual, and, and really being a whole, a whole being. And um, again, didn't really know what that was all about, but that's when I, I found myself seeking some things. There were some things that happened to me in 2006 that put me in that that place to really look back and reflect over all of it. You know, not mm-hmm. just these last couple of years, but hey, what was that that seven year old kid doing? You know, what was that six year old happy go lucky kid doing? And, you know, because like we just talked about, there's so many different extremes that that I had there. You know, mm-hmm. That was my, my pattern for a long time. And I, you know, there's more after the Marines. You know, I've, I've been in, uh, in a Wall Street firm. I've been a technology salesman. And, you know, I just, you know, going from one swashbuckling thing to the next. <laughs> my, my vices, you yeah. know, thinking that I'm this, you know, big, important guy. And um, <laughs> I really had to, to reconcile it and figure out who I was. You know, and, and own myself a little bit more, and so, um, so there was there was a series of those, and I can talk about it more if, if you want, but that's how it works for me again. Okay, okay. Well, we're going to take another break, and after that, we're going to talk about uh, how you became whole. Stay tuned. We'll be more. Uh, we'll be back with more Doug Peterson right after this. Let's return to Don't Box Me In with your host Lana Reed. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back. I am with Doug Peterson today. He is the founder of the Playground Global Research and Education Company, and uh, we've been spending the day talking about how he uh, went from 275 pounds to a buff Marine who still had emotional work to do, and we were at the point where we were talking about his process of becoming whole. And, you know, you said even though you went through physical trans. Formations, you still had a lot of work on on yourself to do. Um, one of the things I want to ask, I know uh, from not only personal experience but talking to people, that a lot of times we as people, when we're going through our own 
trauma, we tend to drag everybody around us into our, our, our mess. So just curious, were you dating or like in your marriage, were you married at the time? Were, was everybody around you going through your ups and downs as well? No, no. I mean, I, <laughs> I, uh, the majority of this was, was my internal struggle, you okay. know, and I've, you know, I had relationships and everything else, but, but, um, it wasn't a chaotic, a chaotic life on the outside. Okay. And, um, you know, but in, internally, oh my God, yeah. And these were all, <laughs> you know, internal fire flames, you know, but, but yeah, I didn't have, I wasn't married. In fact, it was, it was, it was when I fell in love, uh, and, and, you know, with my, with my wife now is when things really started to open up and block. My eyes really started to, to get what was going on and, 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 and my life turned around for the better, you know, okay. um, okay. thankfully. <laughs> so. Okay. So that oh. was a one-man show, you know, and I, and, uh, thank, I guess I, there's one thing there to be thankful for is I didn't drag anybody down with me. So. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, uh, you mentioned before that you were, um, you know, 25, I guess this is when you get out the Marines and yeah. you kind of start to say, maybe I should make some changes. Is, is that right? Correct. Yeah. And okay. I, I, I didn't really have the, you know, again, the, the vocabulary to, to articulate it this way, but there were, there were some serious, um, um, character flaws that I needed to work on, and I was having a reoccurring dream um, that was just, you know, it was really vivid, and it was with this cat. Again, I, there's a whole chapter in the book about it. Uh, this black cat nightmare that I had for for almost a year, and mm-hmm. um, it, it basically when I figured out, I was telling the buddy the story, and I figured out that this what was happening in this dream was a symbol for all my relationships with my leaders. And with the guys that, that I was around, and um, I realized, you know, so to spare you all the details, basically I needed to change my reactions with people, mm-hmm. you know, not be so judgmental and be so rigid, and you know, um, be so so sensitive if someone were to let me down based on what my standards were, you mm-hmm. know, and um, and just be lighter, you know. And so it took, you know, so once I just, you know, I just because I wasn't happy, you know, I was really. Okay angry and, and um, you know, just ready to run again, just as, you know, just as, just as I was ready to run in the Marines, I was ready to just, you know, bolt out of there. Okay. And uh, so that's when I just decided, you know, it's time to, 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 to grow up some, you know, but I, it, it took, it took some time still, because like I said, I drove around all these vices, you know, I didn't have um, a lot of self-help knowledge at the time to mm-hmm. be able to do it. Yeah. So you mentioned, some of your triggers are your interactions with people uh, in the past or so have you identified for you personally, all of your triggers? You know, I, I think because um, for me, most of all this was self-discovery without professionals. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually think that I, I went about it backwards. If I was going to make recommendations to people, even if it's just about their weight, it would be doing it the opposite way that I did. Lucky for me, you know, I have this physical ability and the the the, the willpower of a jackass mule. But I think <laughs> if people can fix their emotional house first, that's really where the drivers are. You know, okay. and if they can figure out their um, their emotional makeup and their character, doing that other piece will be way way easier because sure. you know the food the food and stuff is just a vehicle. And so so yeah, my my triggers and stuff, I, I've been able to overcome them. Um, I think in a, in a way that's probably not, it's backwards, you know, and, mm-hmm, and so, mm-hmm. 
I never had to, you know, uh, list them. So, but, but people were my triggers at one point, you know, my family, uh, it seems like the people that have been close to me, if I were to look back, you know, most of the triggers have been the people that are around me and my reactions to them. And let me say my, my inaccurate reaction, you know, my overreaction, you know, my, my, my uncontrolled sensitivity. So it's not what they did to me, but it was my, my misappropriated reactions to the people that were around me. That's really been, you know, the, the, the mainstay of the triggers where, where my problems were when I grew up, as gr- growing up. Okay, know. okay. So going back again, so you said, okay, at 25, you know, Doug, I got to do some work on me. But you also <laughs> mentioned that, you know, it, was, it wasn't really till you got married that you, you kind of solidified forward moving and, and making progress. Uh, so I'm going to assume that there was this, relapse and okay I'm I'm making progress and no I'm not making progress and this back and forward kind of movement um so it wasn't like a steady stream of Doug is getting better well yeah not not really I mean not emotionally I mean it was a mm-hmm. so I got out of the marines in at, at the end of of the at the end of the century 1999 I left the mm-hmm. marines at, in December after 6 years and now I finished my degree. I went to, you know, I, I had some college done when I was in the Marines, but I, I got my degree really quickly after I got out. Went to Wall Street, you know, and they got into corporate, corporate America. And, mm-hmm. you know, six years later, now it's 2006, and I had accomplished a lot of things. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I'd done a lot in the Marines in six years, and I'd done a lot in business in, in six years, but I was still really unhappy. And I found myself at that point in 2006 trying to redefine myself again professionally, you know, mm-hmm. and and just not being satisfied with my my accomplishment. And then at the same time, this is it's gonna sound weird, but it all kind of came together. My grandfather passed away that year mm. and it put me in a very somber uh mood because he was a, a you know, he was another hero of mine. You know, mm-hmm. he lived a long life but at the time, you know, this is like Great Depression era people. I just didn't believe that they made people like that anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I was very cynical, mm-hmm. you know, very cynical about the human race at that point. And mm-hmm. and um, and then here comes uh, this amazing woman who was so different and, than anything I'd ever seen or been around. Uh, even her name is, is Nurse. Just from the very first moment I I I, I was in the same space with her, mm-hmm. you know, uh, my heart started to do things that I did that I never felt before. <laughs> and so all these things were happening at, at, at you know around the same period of 2006 and it just put me in a mood to um, to open you know if I can put it simply yeah. uh, you know being being vulnerable with my my grandfather just reflecting you know um, being in a, at a point where I was wanting something more and but looking for it on the materialistic side you know, okay but I need the next job I need more of this more of that and then having my heart being um, tickled with love uh-huh. uh, put me into that spot to start to open, you know, and really crack some some, some really hard shells that were around it there, and mm-hmm. um, and so that's that's really where where I think things started to come together, and that's when I like I said I started to look back more than just you know the the current moment or the last year and, and really start to figure out hey what are these pieces of life that I've lived and and what does it all mean. You know, and, and, and how does it all come together to where I'm at now? And that was just going on for me in 2006. Okay. And, um, so, yeah, yeah. So 2006, um, was, was the healing, was it a fast pace then? Did all the pieces fall together pretty quickly then? 
No, no, it, it, I, it, no, it, it wasn't, it wasn't slow, but it was, uh, again, like everything I've done, stuff is sport, you know? So, you know, I didn't, I didn't you, you'd think I'd go talk to somebody or go get some help or read some books, but, um, you know, what, what I've learned is I, you know, I didn't, I didn't meditate at the time, but a lot of what I was doing was, was, was a form of meditation and just soul searching. And so it was a slow path of discovery. And, and as my courtship with, my girlfriend, who is now my wife and mother of my children, you know, mm-hmm. today, um, progressed, you know, so did, so did my healing, you know, and, and, you know, there were, there were more tough times, more challenges that I had to, had to face. And, and I think it probably within three years, you know, three to four years. So by the end of, of 09 or in 2010 is when I really feel like I had a good handle on, you know, just not what happened, but, but Doug as a, as a, as a person. You know, and okay. as a as a sensitive being, you know, and as a, as a spirit, you know, and and those kinds of things, as a spiritual person, you know, and and um, and just having that that balance, you know, if you will, that I was mm-hmm. seeking for so long, that's when it really really got installed, you know. But but it came in pieces along the way, you know. Mm-hmm. As I learned more things, I read more books, gained more tools, did more soul searching, you know, things started to fall into place. Okay. Okay, and now you you know you're you're whole and and healed and um you have the family and everything. You now help others uh, come to terms with their triggers and and how to be the best whole person that they are. Is that correct? I try to, yeah, yeah. I really try to be an example and 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 you know tell this story, not just say look at me, but I just think that I went the slow route, and I also think that I did it backwards. You know, so <laughs> my story can not just inspire somebody to say, oh, hey, this guy did this kind of weird stuff and I can try it too in, in their way, that's one thing but if I can shortcut someone's route and help them collapse time you know, that's that's where the juice is at you know, so, um, so hopefully it won't take them 20 years to get it together, right? Exactly, exactly <laughs> I've, you know, I've, learned, I've learned some things you know, the older <laughs> so, people, Hold on, them. listen to me now you don't have to knock your yeah. head up against the wall hold on now <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I have a, a friend that says you want to do this the hard way or the easy way and <laughs> Usually, if you want to do it the easy way, you got to talk to other people that have been there first, you know. And um, it took it took me a long time to get that. Okay, okay. So, um, one of the ways that you help people um, is the uh, playground global. And before we go to break, real quick, can you just give us a, a little lead way what that's about? Yeah, yeah. Playground Global is a company that I that I started a uh, a few years ago as a as a way just to to um, provide a platform for, for like this kind of stuff. I released the book under, under, uh, the company's name. Um, I do talks locally, uh, uh, about not just my story, but about the tools and strategies that, that, that I offer. And then I, I write more. I've got another book that I'm working on and I blog, you know, on my website. And a lot of that goes into material or content for Playground Global. And it's really just, you know, it's my, it's a company name, but it's, you know, the things that I release, the articles or the research that I do comes out you know, under, under PGG or Playground Global and, 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 and that's really what it is. But it's more about the strategies, the tools, the stories, you know, to help people not just, you know, tune a breath or, or, you know, my story. You know, that's just a, a small piece of a, of a larger puzzle. Okay. So it's how people can uh, help get their, get their selves together. Yeah. You know, so the topics, I guess, if there were, were main ones, uh, it's, it's success, prosperity, you know, and, and really the stuff that we're talking about, balance. You know, and it's the components, physical, emotional, spiritual. Okay, cool stuff. Okay, we're going to take our last break of the day, but when we come back, we're going to talk about everything that you're working on now. Uh, 
We'll be right back with more Doug Peterson. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. I have had the pleasure today to keep company with Mr. Doug Peterson, the author of Tuna Breath, a 275-pound teenager's coming-of-age story. Before the uh, break, we were talking about one of his projects, which is Playground Global. And, Doug, within that program, you have something called uh, Worried Mom Coach Program. What What is that? Oh, okay. So that's... that's um one of the things that I, you know, one of the purposes of, of this book was to, to help parents of, um, of kids that were like me understand kind of uh, the bigger picture of what's going on. So, you know, of the parents, you know, my dad was involved, but my mom worried, you know, and mm-hmm. worried a lot more. And I think, you know, I'm a parent now. I've got a, a two-year-old boy and, and a girl on the way here in June. And mm-hmm. I just know Congrats. that... that it's such a big topic, you know, parents that are looking for, for information or moms that are worried about this, you know, it's, they got to know the nutrition and know the physical aspect, but, but, but I really want them to understand that the, the driver and the success of this is the invisible battleground, and that's the emotional mm-hmm. space that, that their child is inhabiting. And that's, how, that's, that's definitely how it worked for me. And so the whole intro of my book is about this, and so... You know, for the worried mom, I really, you know, I have some some writings, and I'll be happy to. I, I, I talk to as many as I can about just what their their child's emotional makeup is, what their needs are, you know, and then also um, how you know what's going on, like literally what's going on. Food is is a is a is a way to connect. It fills an emotional need, and that's why it continues to 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 be chosen. And so. You know, the parents can, once they know about that, what's going on with the emotional drivers of the child, they can start to augment that, help that, help that child make better decisions and meet their needs in other ways, you know, and, and, and not with food. So there's a whole, you know, there's a whole um, series of education that, that goes into that. And it's really just about teaching about emotional needs and then how to augment change and, and, and get healthier with, with all that. Okay. So you go out and, and speak to, like, groups of moms and parents or how does that work yeah it, it mostly it's been through uh by a, a local pta you know okay parents you know if a, if a mom c- connects me uh, or excuse me connects with me directly then you know we could end up talking on the phone or chatting i don't do formal formal coaching or charge anybody at this point because okay. uh, it hasn't gotten out of control i've got <laughs> you know a whole other business that, 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 that provides my income uh so okay. right now it's 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 uh, it's mainly just word of mouth, and I guess you could call it coaching. But I don't, you know, I don't have a formal coaching um, business out of this. It's it's more about here's the process that works for me, and here's some education for you. If I can give them some articles that I've written, give them my book, or talk them through it on the phone or through email, then that's what what I do. Okay, so then I guess my next question is, if there's a mother or an aunt or a grandparent or a, a school administrator who wants to get involved with Playground Global, how how do they do that? Yeah, the best thing is to is to contact me uh, directly. My contact information is on my website, and if someone emails me or calls me, they get me directly. And um, we, we kind of do some discovery, find out what, what the situation is there and see if I'm a, a good fit for them or if my story okay. is a good fit. And then we just kind of tailor it and, and see what, based on what the situation is. So for some schools, uh, for some, a couple of schools that, I, that I've worked with, it's been just a volunteering 
event mm-hmm. and a talk about about my story. Um, I was at a, a, a seminar in, in England, uh, in London, uh, over the fall, and I ran into to, uh, a woman, and we were talking, and so she got a copy of my book, and, and uh, you know, so that's another connection that's just different. So we emailed mm-hmm. back and forth because her, her, her daughter's obese, you know, and so... It's, you know, like I said, I'm not, you know, this big famous guy yet, you know, so it's not out of control. <laughs> so um, I can be really flexible in how, how I help you. But if somebody wants to get involved or, or know more about it, they just need to contact me and I'll be happy to work something out. And, you know, and I like what you said, you know, uh, if somebody feels like I'm a good fit for them, because I think a lot of times people don't understand not every teacher is for every student. So I think sure. that's very important yeah. that you know, both of you have to fit together and and that you realize that it's not about, I'm just going to take you just because you came my way. You know, I have to be able to work for you. So I think that's cool. So, you know, I was on, um, before I get out of here, I was on your website and I was checking out your blog and you've got a lot of, lot of cool stuff on there. One of the things I read um, is this entry about overcoming limitations and you brought up this issue of determining your personal landmine map. What is a landmine map? Yeah, a landmine map really, um, I pulled out some marine term at landmine. I <laughs> wrote this article a little bit. I was teaching a, uh, a course about this, um, a couple of weeks ago. It's basically hot buttons. You know, mm-hmm. our, our landmines in your personal day are, are, are emotional. Landmines are basically our hot buttons. They're things that stress us out, uh, or things that keep us frustrated or, or, you know, piss us off or keep us everything but happiness and joy. And so, um, I, 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 one of the steps, there's four areas that I, that I, that I you know, instruct people about. It's their needs. The other one is this hot buttons or their landmine. And if you know what, what those are and how it's controlled, you know, cause these landmines, these hot buttons usually elicit a, a very deep emotional response that's mm-hmm. negative, you know, and if you can determine what they are, like I, we were talking about before, mine were people, you know, mm-hmm. I, I just really let people get under my skin. I'm a very sensitive person. I didn't know how to control that when I was, was younger, I had a very distorted view of that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you know what your hot buttons are, then there's other things that you can, there's other levers that you can pull uh, to, to change the emotions that you have with them. You can avoid them and stay out of that, you know, basically stay unstressed, you know, and uh, you can reframe things. You can, you can, you can focus your vision in other directions. Mm-hmm. You can avoid these, these hot buttons, these trigger points that a lot of times will make you go pick up a vice. So if one of my triggers were, was hit or I stepped on one of my landmines, um, when I was 25 years old, it wouldn't be, okay, let's go eat a a cheese pizza. It'd be like, Hey, let's go to the bar and have some drinks, you know, Mm -hmm. let's go, you know, so, so a lot of times our hot buttons, when we get stressed, when we, when we, when we feel that it's time to go pick up a vice, let's smoke, let's eat, let's drink, let's do something else. And, um, that's the chain that that happens. And so I write about landmines because they're so easy to to change. And once you start paying attention to what, you know, what angers you or what frustrates you or irritates you, you know, then you can start to identify what manufactures that emotion. What are you thinking about it? What are you saying about it? What do you imagine about it? And you basically just change your, you know, change your mind about it, you know, and, and, uh, and get a different emotional response and, you know, you can stay away from it altogether. I don't know if that makes sense, but oh yeah, it does. What, so you know, yeah. I need to come. I need to come to you and sit down. Me personally, Lana needs to come and sit and talk to Doug, and you can help me identify. You know why it is that I randomly, for no reason at all, you know, have this urge to just buy shoes that I will not even wear at all, and they they accumulate in my closet. So there, yeah. there, <laughs> you know, there are triggers <laughs> for that. There's, you know, there's something. Yeah. 
you know, so it's totally understandable. It's for some people like you, it was food. Um, you yep. know, some people you have this, you know, you see the hoarders on TV. I think there's a whole reality TV show, show yep. about it. Uh, you know, some people it's toxic love relationships. You know, you, yeah. you, know, you have the yeah. girls that I can't, I can't understand or why I'm always in these relationships with these people that they're no yeah. good for me. You know what I'm saying? So unless yeah, you, you identify. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't want to interrupt you, but no, no, you know, go ahead. One of the hardest concepts, I don't know why for me to get across to people, but all this stuff, all these problems and these things that we want to change about ourselves, it all boils back to our needs. Mm-hmm. We ha- once we realize that, hey, I'm doing this because it meets my emotional needs somehow, mm-hmm. that's when you can really, con- that's when you can really make a, a, a deep change. Like I backed into all of this after, like I said, like mm-hmm. everything we talked about, but if you can go front ways and say, hey, I'm eating because it's meeting my needs. And this, in my case, how I'm connecting with myself because I have a need for love. This is how I'm loving myself, but it's in a negative way. Once I'm conscious of that, then I can start to be educated, start to make different decisions about that. But it's very hard these days for someone, you know, a lot of us don't want to look in the mirror and say, oh, I'm That's doing this. True. And, you know, um, I'm, it's a problem for me. And they won't admit that it's, it's actually meeting their needs. You know, we lie to ourselves all the time to meet our needs. We do a lot of negative things. Everything we do, we do to meet our emotional needs, positive and negative. And um, that's one of the that's the key right there. Cool so, stuff. yeah, good good anyway, tips. Good tips. <laughs> no, no, no problem. Good tips and good information. You know, Doug, uh, I always say my hour just goes so quickly. I could talk I to know. my guests for two hours. We are at the end of the hour. Uh, my guest today has been Doug Peterson. Please, please, please be sure to visit his website at DougAPeterson.com. And that is P-E-D-E-R-S-E-N.com. Doug, I've had such a wonderful time chatting with you today. <laughs> I've learned a lot. Thank you so much for being with me today. Lana, you rock. Thank you so much. I really <laughs> enjoyed it. Thank you. <laughs> all right. I'll see everybody next week. That's all for Don't Box Me It.